0: Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host this week, Matthew Kuhn, joined as always by my older brother, Michael Kuhn.
1: I'm here, and we're almost to the draft. Can't wait.
0: What? I think 10 days away?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it might be my favorite sporting event of the year anyways, but um, we're not doing anything else, not watching any other sports, and it is only 10 days away.
0: It's going to be the crappiest... It's going to be the crappiest, like, three days of television, but it's going to also be amazing. Like, I'm so intrigued as how they're going to produce
1: this. And So, did you see Peter King's column by any chance this morning?
0: I didn't have a chance.
1: So, on his column, he had a video from a podcast he was doing with Thomas Dimitra, the GM of the Falcons. And Dimitrov, it was a video podcast, so he was just recording it like on his phone. Dimitrov had his headphones in, was like recording on his phone. And uh, Peter King asked him, he's like, so I'm really curious, like, what is your draft room setup like at your house? Like, you got to do this at your house. What does it look like? He's like, you want to see it? And he just like turned the camera around and walked everybody through his house and like showed his whole draft room. It was freaking awesome. It was so, not only does he have a nice house, which is not surprising, but like his whole room was already set up and we're like, you know, 10 days before the draft is off. Awesome.
0: They have like, like serious IT infrastructure, like for, for video, like yeah. teleconferencing. He has, three, and stuff. he has a
1: huge, yeah, he has a huge screen with two screens right next to it, hung on the wall, like adjacent to it. Like it almost overlapped a little bit. It's like the main screen is like the TV broadcast, like what's going on. And then the side screens are the draft boards. Like, what is going to be up? Like, what would be up in our war room? Well, and, like that's, and that's so what's so funny is each
0: one of they have to have that digital now with somebody manning it. I mean, somebody would be manning it if it was just a whiteboard in general, but that's got to be shareable to, to everybody else. You're not relying on everybody just to keep their own tally at that point, which is wild.
1: And then he's got a computer set up with, two screens two like big screens that are actually like tablet, like touch screens that he can work off of that. That There was a whole interface.
2: It was was clear
1: that there was an interface. Yeah, it was awesome. And then he had three phones. So there was like a speaker phone, like set up, like you would see in the middle of a conference room table. That was like right there. That's clearly like going to be their main like communication line. And then he explained, there was two just like regular old phones sitting there. He goes, This is the AFC phone, and this is the NFC phone. So I have no clue what that means, but apparently there's a different phone for calling AFC teams versus NFC teams. I don't even know what why, but that would I wonder to the left.
0: I wonder if they're all like programmed into like speed dial or something, and the phones can only hold so many numbers. And so there's just an easy way to delineate it. That's that's hilarious. It's going to be super interesting. Did you catch any of that like horse competition that ESPN aired?
1: Oh, no. Was it horrible?
0: It was creative. It was kind of painful to watch because the video quality was, was not great. And admit it, like, that's yeah. not knocking anything. But it's going to be really interesting to see the NFL draft being produced like from social distancing as well as the video that's coming out of these draft parties. And what are these draft parties going to look like? Is it just going to be a dude and his that's girlfriend or a dude and his parents? Like in yeah. a in a room, it's gonna be kind of sad. And then what do you do if there's just a party of like fifty people? <laughs> like, <laughs> so much judgment, yeah. so much judgment. If that happens, that, like does ESPN not air that? Like just to spare the whole contri. Like I don't, I don't understand. Uh, so it's gonna be wild. I can't wait. We're we're in a wild I time. Wait. I I almost have forgotten that the NFL draft is ten days away, but I'm so excited about it and because we're so excited about it it's become a tradition here on the Sin of our father's podcast before the NFL draft we have um Dane Brugler on who is now a writer the lead NFL draft writer for the athletic um uh, he's been on our podcast for the last 3 seasons i think this is the fourth fourth time he's been on the pod now um
1: So at least we have him twice a year. So it's at least been five.
0: Yeah. So so Dane's Dane's been great to us. We always appreciate having him on. Um, and we had to had to bring him on to get his perspective on this year's draft class. So here's our conversation with Dane.
1: So Dane, um, we're down to the wire. You've got your uh, draft guide out. You just released your seven round mock draft this morning. Um, want to ask you a handful of questions draft related. Uh, before we get into specifics on the Browns, would love to know some general things on your thoughts on this draft. Like, wh- how do you view these, this class in particular? I'm just curious about like what position groups do you like? Maybe which groups are uh, underrated, overrated? Um, give us a, give us a general overview of how you're seeing this class shaping up.
2: Well, uh, we talked so much about the receivers, and uh, you know, obviously, they, I think it's deserving uh, uh, how deep that class is. Uh, and it's it's funny we might not have a receiver going to top ten picks, uh, but it's still just one of the more loaded classes we've ever seen. Uh, so we, we might not have that Julio Jones or you know the Calvin Johnson, just that clear number one type. But uh, there's so much quality depth. At the position and it stretches uh in each round. So the receivers are a lot of fun. Uh I, I think linebacker is very underrated. It's a sneaky good group this year. Uh corner is another uh I think a really uh not not so much as receiver, but it's a, a pretty stacked position. Running back, uh I, I think that stretches. Uh, quarterback is solid. Um, so I think, there, yeah, there's quite a few I, offensive tackle in the first round. It's such a top-heavy group. Um, and so we're going to see six, maybe seven tackles go in the first round, which is crazy. But Matthew's been arguing me on this point. He doesn't think it's possible that six go in the first round, and I keep telling him it's going to happen. You're right. It might be eight. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. Well, it, a, a big reason is because of the drop-off. You know, it, it's – we're going to see teams be like, yeah, you know what, we really like Justin Jefferson, but we could get our tackle here and get Michael Pittman in the second round and be, you know, in good shape. So, you know, I, I think that the the fact that several of these positions will stretch, like receiver and corner, teams are going to go for that tackle just to, because they know there's the a steep drop-off, and so many teams need tackles. So... I think it's going to be anywhere between five and seven tackles going in in that first round. So it'll be interesting to see the order they come off the board. And, you know, I mean, I I know whenever I've done a million Browns uh, related hits, and it's it's always interesting to talk about who's going to be there at 10, you know, who's going to be left for them. Do they, would they entertain a move back? I think they would, Um, you know, would they trade back? You have to make sure they don't trade back far enough or, you know, too far where you're, you're missing out on one of those tackles. So it's just, it's a fun tackle group in the first round.
0: Well, so that leads me to a question that I had. Um, obviously the Browns need help at left tackle. Um, mm-hmm. Currently who knows <laughs> who, who would, who would line up to actually play that position if we had to start the season today, do they have to go address that at 10 or can they go best player available and try to, either move back into the first round to get a tackle or sit at 41 because there are eight guys that kind of make up that first two tiers of offensive tackle.
2: Yeah. But, and I think we have to remember that, you know, while generally speaking, I think there are eight tackles deserving of top 50 consideration. The Browns might only like four of them, you know, and they think four fit their scheme, fit their culture, fit what they're looking for. Um, and it just it might not be as big of a group as and we you know we think just from general terms um, and You know who knows maybe they like one of these guys in the third like a uh, Tega winogo from Auburn who's you know got some medical stuff, but he's a talented player Matt Parrot from UConn. There are a lot of Parrot fans throughout uh, the league. So I think the most I, I don't think that uh, They would trade up from the second to the first to get one of those tackles, I think it's more likely to trade back from 10 and, you know, trade back to 18, 19, 20 and get a tackle that way. Also picking up that extra second rounder, or day two pick, whatever it would be uh, to pick up another starter. I think that'd be, might be option one for them. You know, the most ideal situation is to trade back, you draft Ezra Cleveland at 20 and then you have what, uh, another day two pick to draft a linebacker a corner or safety or wherever they want to go on day two so i think that might be what they prefer
1: yeah do you think there's a player a tackle that would prevent them from doing that like if so-and-so is there at 10 they're not going to move back do you think there's a do they have an apple of their eye that they're like really hoping
2: for at 10 my guess would be worse um i just think he's a Ideal fit for what they want to do, um, but I don't know that I don't. Um, I, I, my guess would be worse, and even then, I think they'd have a tough decision to make. I, I, I think that you know you want you want options, and so if if a team does say it's uh, you know the Raiders um, say it's a team like uh, yeah. you know I'm trying to think of I don't think the Vikings would. The Dallas. Trying to. I don't. No, I don't think Dallas will because I mean I think they. They, they, I think they would want to because they want chase on or CJ Henderson and good chance. Neither of them makes it uh, that far to 20 or to 17, but they need, they have so many high priced contracts that they need. They can't give up day two picks. They need those guys to fill out their roster. So I just, I would be surprised if Dallas traded up. Um, I don't. It's, it's tough to find a partner, especially in, in this class, because I think there's pretty good depth on day two. So, um, it, it's tough. I, I think in order for that to happen, Isaiah Simmons might have to fall. And if that happens, you know, if the Browns would even want to trade back, maybe they'd just take up you know, draft Simmons at 10 and try to figure out plan B at, at left tackle. I think there's a lot of Browns fans that would be pretty happy if that,
1: if that happened and they were able to find a suitable tackle um, somewhere else in the draft, wherever that might be. All right, Dane. So I know you mentioned you've done a million of these Browns hits. I've heard you on a handful of those, uh, and I'm sure there's been a lot more that I haven't heard. Not to mention your own podcast. So my goal for this is for you to not fall asleep during um, this podcast. So I'm gonna try to throw curveball questions in every once in a while. So
2: all I'm right, just gonna Grant.
1: start, but I'm not gonna warn you from from now on. They're just gonna <laughs> kind of come in the flow. All right. Kay. So I just want you to stay on your feet. So wait. wait is- can can I can I open a beer real quick? Of course. May open a beer. Okay. Please right, exactly. open a beer. All right. Good to go. All right. So, question for you. What is the worst Cleveland Browns draft pick of the modern era?
2: Justin Gilbert. I think that's uh, that that one and I mean I said it was from the start. Uh, that was Justin Gilbert was not a first round player. Uh, I mean, he was a first round talent, but he just wasn't a first round player and the the fact that they drafted him what eight overall it was just in, in, in that draft too, where they passed on, uh, you know, guys like uh Odell Beckham and Aaron Donald and Zach Martin and Shazier. And I mean, it was such a loaded group of players and they drafted Justin Freak and Gilbert. Um, and I mean, it, it's saying, <laughs> what something. was your reaction whenever
1: you saw the news come across? Like it got announced. What did you do? I don't,
2: I, I, I believe I was, with, I was doing live coverage with the Cowboys at the time I was at, Valley Ranch back when they were there, and I, I have to ask the, the people that, that I, were, I was with, like what was what was the worst reaction when Justin Gilbert was drafted or Cody Kessler was drafted? Uh, I, both both were both had me speechless. Both had me. Well, Justin Gilbert not so much because I was kind of ready for that one. That seemed like something they might do, but the Kessler one, I, I I don't think I talked for five minutes, and they just had to carry the show for a while. Uh The Gilbert I, that one was. That was just—it was just bizarre because he wasn't—he wasn't a good player, and you know I, that was a straight coach pet and pick. And Ray Farmer—and it, it's saying something when you're—you were drafted in the same first round as Johnny Manziel, and you were the worst draft pick. That's—that's—that's that's, that's saying something. So <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. that—that
1: that one was tough to swallow. Um, I—I I, I can get behind that. There's no arguments for me. What do you so, guys say? Um, you agree? Disagree? I, I think of I think of Sean or Sean Thompson from like way back. That okay, seemed yeah, like Coach a. Davis, really big time reach. Um, no, David David was
0: was pretty bad too. Which one? David Vakune. the the oh, outside yeah. Why? the Why? defensive tackle from yeah. Hawaii who was moving to outside linebacker. That that was yeah. a, a bit of a stretch. Second round pick.
1: We had three second-round picks that year. We took Rubisky and Muhammad Masakwa, and That's none of right. them really – And Vakuna, yeah,
0: and none of them panned out. It's brutal. <laughs> was
1: that Coquinas? Ooh. Was that sound? <laughs> right? It was, a, it was the Mangini era, so that makes sense. It could have been yeah. Coquinas' one draft. That was when we um, gave up that pick to the Jets so they could take Mark Sanchez, We moved yep. back. They All took right. Alex Mack, which was a good pick. Mm-hmm i remember right um anyways so moving on you just announced you just released this seven round mock draft today which is just an unbelievable feat of work
0: how long does that take to put together a seven round mock draft first of all Uh, i mean i imagine if you just sat down and did it it would still take the better part of a day to make all the picks
2: it it, it took me weeks um and i started because i would chip away at it um
0: Because you got to write I, up I, about I, each pick as well. You can't just, like, make the selections.
2: Right, and that's the thing. If I'm, if I'm going to take the time to do a seven-round mock, I'm going to do it with some thought behind it. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to – and I, I, I try to do it every year right about this time. And usually, I mean, I, I bank a lot on the 30 visits. And, you know, I, I try to follow the breadcrumbs. You know, who's going to whose visits? Uh, you know, who's doing the 30 visits? Who's doing workouts? Things like that, try to figure out which teams are interested in who. But this year, all I've got are FaceTime videos. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's harder to find out who's interested in who. But, you know, trying to just – using my uh, connections, trying to find out from, you know, different team sources who they might be interested in. and um, You know, it's more than just, okay, well, this team needs a linebacker, so they'll go this guy. And, you know, I try to put a lot more thought into it. Um, but when my editors were uh, – Uh, reviewing and editing uh the beast before that went out i started on this seven round mock and i i actually this is this was supposed to go out last friday and i finished it and then thursday night freaking bill o'brien trades for brandon cooks and i had to (laughs) totally (laughs) like it it messed up because when you change a pick in the second round there's a domino effect that changes the rest of because you can't just one pick in a vacuum so I spent, I, I had to redo, you know, probably 20 picks, uh, over the weekend before I, before it worked out again. So, um, but it's all right. It, the, it, has been great having people talk about it today and, um, you know, all the feedback, all the conversations been a lot of, a lot of fun, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an undertaking because I'm not, not just throwing this around and, you know, I'm trying to put a lot of thought into it.
0: No. And I think that's great. So, How do you go about doing that when, when, a a a piece changes like that where Bill O'Brien makes a big trade, suddenly different teams have a different pick. How do you go and edit a mock draft that's seven rounds deep without just basically canning everything from that pick on and restarting? Do you go through and change a pick and then be like, all right, now this player's available. Would this team pick this player versus the player I had? Nope. And then move on and you just go until you reach a dead end?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like a maze or like a, a puzzle. Like, you know, I, I you change one pick and then, uh, okay, Houston, okay, they, they traded that 57 pick for uh, the receiver. So uh, I originally had Houston drafting a receiver at 40, so that's no longer going to happen. Right. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess it could, but uh, I had him drafting Jalen Rager. So they just drafted, or they just traded for Brandon Cooks. I don't think they would draft another smaller speedy receiver and, and Rager at 40, so I had to change 40 uh, to someone else. But then, obviously, I'm taking a player from another uh, team. And so it's just, yeah, it it, take, it took a while to get the mock back where I wanted it, or where I could at least defend every single pick. And that, that's my goal. With every single if anybody challenged me on every, any single pick of the 255, I, I would be able to defend it in some way. And it might be as simple as, you know, the, the Saints, uh, you know, they covet speed and, you know, they need another horse in the backfield. And that's why Raymond Calais in the sixth round would make sense. You know, I mean, it, it can be simple, but I at least could defend, I think, every single pick in this mock draft. But, yeah, that that took a lot of uh, – it, it's like a puzzle trying to put it back together. I mean, Bill O'Brien, he uh, – I, I, I try to – i don't I, I don't say bad words in front of my kids they're three and they're four and, you know I, I i i do a nice job of kind of keeping it internal but uh the next day my my three-year-old my daughter uh is we were working on a puzzle and uh, you know i picked the wrong piece or something and she said jesus daddy and i said wait, wait, what'd you just say and i i, I called my wife in. i said did you just hear what she said and she said, "Yeah, she probably heard you say it last night, and I didn't realize I said it. But apparently, <laughs> when I got that text that said Bill O'Brien had traded for Brandon <sighs> Cooks, apparently that's what I said, and I, I guess I didn't—I didn't realize it in the moment. So thanks, Bill." I mean, it was Easter week, so that was the right subject. I yeah, mean, you,
0: <laughs> yeah. Right you you could roll with it. Well, that, so that there you go. That up my next question, and I just wanted to know, in your line of business. Does a guy like Bill O'Brien, do you really appreciate that because it makes everything interesting? Or is he just like a pain in your ass because you never know exactly what his kind of thought process and mindset's going to be? Because he kind of, he's kind of rogue at this point and doesn't act in line with the thinking yeah. of every other NFL team.
2: Yeah, I, I guess there's both, you know, because it's um, on one hand, uh, like I feel like, you know, I've got a really good feel on, you know, what the Cowboys are going to do. Um, you know, when, when Dorsey was GM, I had a pretty good feel, uh, most times what the Browns were going to do. Uh, and some, uh, there's a lot of teams like that throughout the league where I think I've got a pretty good feel just either because I have good contacts with the team, or I think just based off of the trends that, you know, we can at least narrow it down, but there are definitely a few teams and, you know, the, the Browns are one right now with, uh, obviously the, the new, uh, general manager, the new head coach, uh, new decision makers. And then you've got just the, the decision-makers elsewhere, like like Bill O'Brien, who are just their wild cards. And honestly, and I've said this before, I, I really would not care if I went 0 for 32 on my mock draft, like my final mock draft. Like, I, that does not bother me because, you know, we're all guessing here. And, you know, all it takes is one surprise at the top to throw off everything. And that's okay. I'm okay with that because that meant it was an exciting draft. And so that's, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to have fun. I'm here to, you know, talk about these players. And if it was an exciting draft, that's fine with me. So, uh, you know, it, it, having some of these guys be a little rogue and be a little, uh, outside the box, uh, I'm on board with that. Cause that, that makes it fun. Got it. So seven round
1: mock came out. These are the Browns picks. I'm going to read them off here real quick. So the listeners know in case they they haven't seen it first round, Offensive tackle, Mackay Becton out of Louisville. Second round, safety, Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. Third round, we have two picks in the third round. Linebacker, Jordan Brooks, Texas Tech. Edge, Travis Gibson, Tulsa. Going to the fourth round, wide receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones from Michigan. Sixth round, cornerback, John Reed from Penn State. Seventh round, tight end, Cheyenne O'Grady, Arkansas. All right, I don't want to park here because we have a million questions about the draft that we want to answer, but I would love, and I can remind you which picks you made for, in each round for the Browns, I would like one sentence on why you put that player with the Browns at, through each one
2: of those picks. Okay. Uh Mackay back thing yep. Uh, massive left tackle who can move and who can dominate uh, anybody in this path. Uh, that, that's And I think he might be the, the next option after Tristan Wirfs and Wirfs was off the board in uh, in that scenario. So that's a run-on sentence, but it's a sentence. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin, who is... I, I think he checks boxes for production. He had at least three picks every year. Check boxes for the tape, Check boxes for the testing. Uh, so th- I think that, all that is exactly what the metrics, what they're looking for analytically, and I, I think he's he's got a rocket ship on his back right now. I, I think he could sneak in that uh, late first. That, that, that would be possible. Jordan Brooks, third round. Brooks is a fun player who uh, is a little shorter than you want, uh, but he's big-time range, can play sideline to sideline, um, and uh, makes a lot of uh, production in the backfield, and I think that's what they're – looking for at the linebacker position is he a four down player i don't know much about jordan brooks yeah i think he has i think he he was asked more to play upfield uh you know get attack the pocket and attack the run more so than he was to drop but i i think he has that ability because he's a really good athlete and i i think he does have the ability to be a three or four down player
1: okay trevis gibson from tulsa which was interesting to me you don't have to necessarily address this but you picked him ahead of a bunch of other edges that are higher in your rankings like jabari yeah. zuniga and um somebody else like alex highsmith who um i think a lot of people are high on
2: yeah and honestly i i i try not to even use my rankings for these because i'm, I'm trying to guess what they're going to on you know, what teams are going to do and you know gibson is a guy that i think the browns would be interested in because the production is there uh he had eight sacks as a senior uh led the team sacks tackles for loss and then uh, tested fairly well. I think he is a guy that uh, he tested well with PFF. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of things that point towards uh, a more analytically driven front office valuing Gibson more than maybe some other teams. Uh, so I think would not shock me at all if he sneaks into that top 100 range.
1: Nice. Okay. I was thinking that might have been the case because of his testing and how off the charts it was. Mm. So Donovan Peoples-Jones, does he kind of fall in a similar category? That was the yep. uh, next pick you had for the Browns.
2: Yep, exactly. And it, it, former five-star guy was a top receiver, just never lived up to it. Uh, he had exactly zero 100-yard uh, receiving games over his career. He played in, like 37 games for Michigan, mm. so the, the, the production just is not there. But he's a freak athlete. You know, six-two, two-twelve, four-four athlete. He jumps 44 and a half inches, uh, 11-7 in the broad, just sick numbers. Uh, but he just. You, you get the feeling there's more there. You just have to get it out of them. And so I think in the fourth round, that's when you, you know, take a gamble like that.
1: Um, I mean, you either take a gamble there, or you take a gamble on a guy like
2: Antonio Callaway, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. fourth-round receivers. Yeah, that's uh, it. I mean, well, it, well, one of those had a little more bust potential than the other. Um, So sixth round, you had John Reed from Penn State. Yeah, and this is one of my favorite players uh, on day three of the draft. Um, I, I think that he doesn't look like much. Um, it, you know, he doesn't pass the eye test uh, at just what five ten, buck ninety. Uh, but he's a great athlete, uh, and I think the testing numbers will really help help him. He had the best short shuttle out of anybody at the combine. Um, he, he's kind of he's like a mosquito at a barbecue. He just annoys receivers and uh, just bothers them up and down the field. So, uh, might not be the biggest guy, but he's tough. He's crappy. He's crafty. Uh, I think John Reed and somewhere in the fifth, sixth round would be excellent value.
1: And rounding it out,
2: um, is Cheyenne O'Grady, tight end from Arkansas. And this is another one of those, uh, gamble picks, uh, because he was actually dismissed from Arkansas in November. And this guy finds trouble and it's not he, he has a DUI on his, uh, in his background, but it's more just coachability and things like that. So, um, I, there's, there's some question marks there that, you know, the interviews had to go well, you've got to trust the kid, but he's really talented. And so late in the seventh round, maybe, uh, throw the dart and see if you, if you, uh, can keep him on the straight and narrow and he can, he can be a solid player for you.
0: So, so that's really interesting. Um, What's the wildest piece of information you received when you were doing background research on a prospect? And is there anything that that you couldn't confirm so you didn't include it in your um, in, in the beast and you don't have to tell us what who it was? You I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah, we, we what's want the best a, what's story. like want the, the best story. What's the best story you heard that maybe was unconfirmed that you were just like, "Yeah, I can't publish that."
2: I mean, I can't even say what it was, but yeah, there, there, there was something like that. One, one, one of those top eight tackles. There was something, um, and so I, I can't say what, but it, it, there was something. That, I think the craziest, um, and this is not something I knew about. This is like, this is like in November. I was talking to um, a scout, and we were talking about Edwards Allaire uh, from LSU. How this guy is, you know, on the rise. How he's. You know Joe Burrow's the lead singer, but you know you can't have a band without Edwards Hilaire and what he meant to that team, that offense, um, and how he was going to be a better prospect than I think people were giving him credit. Uh, and scout, he goes, "Do you know he killed the guy?" And I was like, "Wait, what'd you just say?" And uh, I, I didn't, I had not done any research on Edwards Hilaire yet, and I started digging, and he, he actually didn't do it, but him and another teammate. Um, uh, Shane. Uh, no, who was it? Um, no, what was his name? Uh, I might have to look it up. Oh, Jared. Jared Small. Uh, him and Jared Small. They were going to sell some electronics, and you know, I I don't know where the electronics came from. They might be. It might be totally legal. I don't know. But they went to go sell these electronics, and the guy that was going to buy them pulled a gun, and Small pulled a gun in self-defense, shot him dead. And neither Edwards-Hilaire or Small were charged. Um, it, and this just happened like uh, a year ago, like December or December 18. So, you know, the end of the previous season. So, it, it, you know, just a crazy thing that I don't think is out there. You know, not a lot of people have been t- I've talked about that. Just kind of a, a crazy thing that made me go, oh, wait, really? Like it just didn't start to do more research on it. So kind of crazy. Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> one of those like stopped oh. in your tracks
1: moments. You're just having a casual conversation about a, ascending sending running back across. He's like, you know, he killed
2: the guy, right? <laughs> That's exact. I, I was like, wait, what? Like,
0: like, I, I need to ask <laughs> really? a few follow up questions here. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. I can't just take you at your word on this and publish it.
2: <laughs> right. That, that was a little crazy, but yeah, the more I, I dug, it was, it was true. It's just kind of one of those things that, um, You know, he didn't actually pull the trigger. The guy he was with did, but, yeah, neither were were charged. It was pure self-defense.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the crazy – I mean, on a similar note, the best thing, I think, about your draft guide, and there's a lot of fantastic things about your draft guide, is the insane amount of background research on each of these players. Like, you know, there's a handful of positions I really want the Browns to draft, and so I spent a lot of time reading through it yesterday afternoon, diving in on those positions, and the amount of detail – on some of these players is so fun to dig up. Like D- the Davion Taylor note, he's a linebacker. He's out of Colorado, right, Dan? Mm, Right, right. And um, your note about like his high school football experience where he's super religious and isn't allowed to, wasn't com- when he lived in his mom's house, wasn't allowed to play or compete in sports after the sun went down on Saturday or on Friday, starting on Friday night. Yep. So he never played any games except for like a handful of games in high school. Like, he, it's played, insane.
2: he played in like one game and that was because they started early enough on Friday that he got to play like a half or something, but that was it. That was the only game he played. He, but I mean, to his credit, he, Holy he, crap. <laughs> he, you know, he was part of the team. He he, he practiced the, uh, you know, like a full-time player. And uh, yeah, his, his mom was a seventh day ad, uh, Adventist church. Uh, there were uh, members of that church. And once he turned 18, his mom said, you know, you, you, you're a man, you can make your own decisions. And he still is religious. Like he still practices, but you know, he's giving himself a pass where he can still play football. It's, you know, it's something that he made that decision. And so he, obviously he had zero tape. So he went to Juco route for two years and then went to Colorado and, uh, you know, big track guy. He ran track in high school, ran track in, uh, at Juco ran track at Colorado uh, ran a four four nine at the combine, then ran a four three nine at his pro day. So, would not be surprised at all if Davion Taylor uh, even went in the third round. Uh, just because there's he plays like a guy that has not played a ton of football, but there's so much ability there, so much talent. Just yeah, a, a, a crazy, uh, you know. And, and that's that's my favorite part of this. And honestly, that's that's what drives me uh, doing these things. Is I love to find out where all these guys have come from. You know what what shaped them to get to this point, uh, you know, because no, no two are alike. And and you find stuff out like this with Davion Taylor, who it's so unique and it's so interesting that I think it's it, it's so relevant to a draft guy. You know, it, it we can talk about the ability to stack and shed and 40 times and all that, but just understanding where they came from, I think really helps you understand where they're headed.
0: No, I, and that's, that's what I think makes your your research so unique you've got chase young is your top as your top prospect in this draft he's obviously defensive end out of ohio state where do you rank? we've had a bunch of good defensive ends in the last couple years where do you rank him among like the last couple years i'm thinking miles garrett bradley chubb nick bosa type defensive ends
2: it, it, it's really tough to do that because we're talking about some really really good players. There, you can't uh, go
0: wrong with, with any of them, right? No, right,
2: yeah. yeah, you're splitting hairs and I think it's just preference. I, I think um, you know, Nick Bosa was so advanced for a player at his age coming out of uh, college like that. Um, I, I think that Nick Bosa will go down as having the better rookie season out of all these guys, but Five years from now, it wouldn't shock me if we talk about Chase Young as being just a better overall player. I think he has the higher ceiling. Um, I think that Chase Young is a freakier version of Bradley Chubb. Um, and I think he's just that good, and he's so it, it, it's it, I call it the LeBron factor. You know, it's not he he won the DNA lottery. Okay, just the biology of what he was blessed <laughs> sure. with is ridiculous. Yeah, 260 and just the freakishly, uh, the freakish athleticism, the, the, the strength, uh, the length that he plays with. I mean, he he won uh, the the DNA lottery, but he also works at it. You know, in, in order for LeBron to beat LeBron, he's got to put in the time and the energy and the work, and he, he obviously does that. And I think Chase Young does that. He attached himself at the hip to, uh, you know, legendary defensive line coach Larry Johnson, and it shows because it's not just – him winning with burst off the edge or power I mean he does those things but it's also the different things that he throws out there he'll throw out the kitchen sink and just use so many different uh hand moves in his bag of tricks that college offensive tackles just have no answer for so uh, he's just a special special player and you know he might not have quite the impact that Nick Bosa did as a rookie but his ceiling is so high as an NFL player and that's why if you're the Redskins, I just I don't think you're going to get the the offer uh, to trade back that uh, you know I, I just don't think it's going to happen. The Lions at three are are hoping that you know a team would trade up to two for Tua, but it's that way Chase Young falls to them a three. I just can't see it happening. I, I think Chase Young's going to go two to the Redskins. All right, so
1: we're all in quarantine. We've been sitting mm-hmm. at home. Maybe is all you do the last month before the draft anyways, Dan. You know, this might be like normal for you, but yep. we're all watching more Netflix. What is the craziest thing you've seen on Netflix during quarantine?
2: Um, honestly, I don't, I, I do not watch anything new when I, because I just kind of, you know, behind the scenes thing that when I'm working on the, the guide or, I mean, I'm, I, if I'm not with my family, I'm working and, I, I need that background noise, so I need something going on in the background, whether it's TV or Netflix or something. So I don't watch something that's, uh, you know, like, that's it, new because then I'm going to be interested in it. I Makes rewatch sense. things. So, like, you know, I, I rewatched The Sopranos. I re-watch, uh Bosch on, on Amazon. Um, you know, I rewatch a lot of things like that, that where I, I don't have to pay attention to. It's just kind of like, you know, background noise um you know i've seen all those shows so many times and then you know really i've got a list here of things that once the drafts in the rear view mirror and i actually have time where i can watch stuff um you know i can i can i can watch some new things and um but i don't know you guys got any suggestions what, what's what's at the top what's at the top of your list give us a couple on the top of your list and we'll let you know what we think uh well whatever's going on with this tiger business um i i, I don't know you guys <laughs> tell me uh is it worth watching uh, I actually I haven't watched Tiger King yet. Of...
1: Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't watched that yet. That sounds like it's like all up your wife's alley. No, because uh, she's like super well, my, like I pro so animal. Watched it, but yeah, without me, so. Um, so I think it's very entertaining. From just like a cultural standpoint, you have to watch it, just so you can understand everybody's references. It's only seven episodes, so it's not like okay. it's that much of an investment. Um, but it gets darker as it goes on. So like the first three or four episodes are like, holy crap, holy crap, holy crap. And then it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> okay. uh, again, that's kind of that's the – just as, if you know that going in, um, that's what you're getting into. Okay.
2: Uh, what, about, what about the new Ozark season?
1: I haven't started that yet because my wife refuses to watch it. So I have to find time where she's not around, and we're in quarantine, so that's pretty right. much
2: never. <laughs> right, right.
1: My that my wife has
0: made a made an only like positive, uplifting show rule. So Ozark does not <laughs> fit that that rule. Life is too um, difficult as is at the moment given the the pandemic situation. So Ozark's gonna have to wait.
2: Uh, that, that makes sense. I don't fault her at all.
0: Although I loved season one and two, so I can't wait. Jason Bateman, one of my faves.
2: Yeah, no, it, classic for sure.
1: All right, Dane. Uh, we talked about it earlier, but I kind of want to get back and park on the tackles for just a second, if you don't mind. You picked uh, you picked Becton in that mock because Worf's wasn't there. You made the comment that you think Worf's is um, probably – the the tackle that they like the best. But I've heard you plenty of times make the same comment you said earlier in our podcast that you think the Browns might want to trade back and that player they might target is Ezra Cleveland. And you're not the only one that I've heard say that. So I suspect that, you know, that's, you know, legitimate information that's out there. He's going to sell jerseys, that's for sure.
0: Yeah,
1: no doubt. (laughs) Especially if he goes with sixty-nine, I mean, yeah. that would be like, uh, the winning
2: combo. I just, just couldn't he get he any better should, than that. He should just go with Ezra on the back. He'd have his last name on the front for at least another year.
1: Oh man, that's when, true. When, when is
2: when the get, jersey reveal? Is this Wednesday? Week, right? Wednesday okay. of this week, and it can't at come two. soon enough. When's, when's the earliest they could they make the switch? This this season. You know, Oh, is it 2020?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Awesome. Great. So we'll
1: see the new jerseys for next season in just a couple days. It's great. So I guess my question on the tackles is talk me through some of the others that we haven't talked about, right? So Andrew Thomas hasn't come up. Um, Mm -hmm. He kind of seems like the boring but, like, technical pick. Like, that guy doesn't seem like he has the elite measurables that maybe Tristan Wirfs has, but he seems like he has the technique that and he's consistent across the board. Um, is that true or not? Like, I'm not I'm
2: watching as much tape as you have. Um, talk to me about Andrew Thomas for a minute. Yeah, yeah, there's I think we uh, Andrew Thomas was the top tackle over the summer and entering the year, so we kind of got a lot of people got conditioned that okay, well, Andrew Thomas is the top tackle and that's it. Um, and then as the season played out, I think it became clear, at least in my mind, that Jedrick Wills from Alabama was the better tackle. And, um, you know, then Mekhi Becton, the way he played, and Tristan Wirfs, I I mean, I always rated him as a top-ten guy, too. So, um, you know, Andrew Thomas is kind of getting a back seat, but he's still a really talented player. Uh, And there's a lot to like about his arm. He's over 36-inch arms, which is ridiculous. He moves well. Uh, He's got that left tackle, right tackle versatility, battle-tested in the SEC, uh, I don't think he missed a game. Uh, he might've missed one game. That's it. Uh, so it just, there's a lot to like about him. The things that I don't like is the balance issues, uh, consistently off balance. And that, that's something that, that would, that bothers me. And that's what makes him four out of the four in, in my mind. But I think he's still a really good player. He's going to have a long NFL career ahead of him.
0: That makes sense. Uh, he seems if he fits the scheme, he seems like a safe pick. Uh, at left tackle, which I feel like a lot of a lot of teams are probably looking for, uh, mm-hmm. Dane. If you had to pick, who who are your top three GMs in the NFL?
2: Ooh, that's a good Putting one. Putting you on the um, spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know it's tough because there's so many like like just overall or like the best drafters or How, however
0: like, you want to define it. However, you, you want to define it. You can define it as the, the the ones
2: that you see yourself
0: the most in, maybe maybe, and that would put take the heat off a little. Or
1: bit.
2: best or best drafters, whatever you whatever you think. Yeah, because I think like uh, you know, like Bill Belichick is you know, I don't think he, he is not a great drafter. or he hasn't been. He's been an okay drafter, but he's had some bombs on his watch. But he's such a he's so good at moving on, and he's not he'll draft a guy in the second round and then an undrafted free agent will play better in camp and he has no problem, uh, you know, playing the undrafted free agent. And, you know, he doesn't, he, he has the ultimate job security. So he's not worried about having to play the second rounder. Um, and so I think that as a GM, there's a lot to like about him overall. It's just, I, he's not the best, best drafter, uh, or at least, you know, he hasn't been over his, over his track record. Um, you know, I, I don't, it's hard to say some of these without you know. I'm, there's no bias here, um, but a lot of these guys I have relationships with, um, and so you know that that there's no way for me to not let that factor in. Um, but I think that uh, Chris Ballard would be near the top of my list. Um, you anyway, know, I got to know Chris when um, I almost took a job at the Chiefs back in 2015. Uh, I, when I decided not to take the job, uh, Chris was who I called and. My first call was to John Dorsey. My second call was to Chris, because uh, he was the assistant GM at the time, and you know we talked through it. He 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 had I think four kids at the time, maybe five, and so I mean he he's like, dude, I get it. Like I you know there's nothing more important than family, and, and you know because my son was born was due that summer, so that's why I didn't take the job. And um, you know he's he, he's just a really good guy, really smart, really understanding. Uh, you know he he knows how to talk to people um, and get information uh, without maybe asking direct questions and things like that. So he would be near the top of my list. Um, yeah, I, I, I know people aren't going to, I audience, love Ballard. yeah, no, he's, he's awesome. He, he really is. I, and that's, I was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, Oh my gosh, Jordan love fell to the second round and, and, and the Colts like how that would, that would suck for him. He's, he's being talked about as a top 10 pick and, I mean, I just, who cares? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about where you go. You know, is it really going to matter if, you know, you could go in the first round to a bad organization and, you know, you're out of the league in four years. But if you go to the team like the, like the Colts that are well run and have the head coach in place, the GM in place uh, in a good structure, you're well, you're, you're more, you're better off uh, than if you go to a team in the, in the twenties, that doesn't have that, that structure that the Colts do. So, um, I, I think that there's no doubt Ballard would make my list. Um, are you allowed to mention a team from that that city in, in Pennsylvania uh, on on this on this podcast? I mean, yeah. They, okay. It's okay. We we like. You mean you mean
0: Philadelphia, in- Dane? <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Howie Roseman. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. No, I mean like Kevin Colbert's done a really nice job <laughs> with the Steelers. I mean uh, they they have a really um, I mean, just look at their success over the years. They're able to find very good value throughout the draft. Uh, they you know they've always been the best at drafting receivers outside the first round. They've definitely had some bombs, no question. Um, but I think that Kevin Colbert's a really good general manager. Um, and then if I was to say another one, I'd probably say John Schneider um, with the Seahawks. Um, when another um, another interview I had was with the Packers back in two thousand and eight. Um and this I was gosh fresh out of college and um I I wasn't ready for this job at all. And the uh I met with this is when the Packers they were made up of Reggie McKenzie, John Dorsey, John Schneider, um, Ted Thompson, I just just all the all these guys. And I was set up in the tight ends room watching tape and uh, you know, big Mark Chamura uh mural on the wall. <laughs> uh, John comes into the room and we just kind of, you know, uh, talk for five, 10 minutes about nothing. And just, uh, I'll never forget that conversation. Just a really smart guy, just really came off well. Um, and I felt like I learned something in just that that short period of time. And that's always stayed with me and all our other talks after that. So, uh, John Schneider would definitely make my list. All right. That's a good list. That's a good list. Okay,
1: good. Um, I keep thinking about offensive tackles, and I I, I feel like everybody's hammered the top four. So everyone like is pretty consistent that those guys are the top four. It's the Wills, it's the Werfs, Thomas, and Beckman. But then there's the next three that you have, a first- to second-round grade on, that you're saying is they're probably all likely to go in the first round. Can you give us a, a quick snapshot on Josh Jones, Austin Jackson, and Ezra Cleveland?
2: Josh Jones um he had what uh so many he had five different offensive line coaches in his five years at Houston uh, I mean that's that's how Holy. you ruin ruin a player um you know and that and that's why he was a little bit of a late bloomer um and talking to someone from Houston over the summer he mentioned Josh as someone to watch for you know could be a third or fourth round pick and then had a really good senior year and put himself in position to, you know, be drafted in the first round, went to the senior bowl, played well there. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot to like about him as and he's All these other guys we've been talking about the, you know, the quote unquote eight guys in the top 50 conversation at tackle, they're all underclassmen. They're all juniors or, or, or younger than that. So Josh Jones is the only senior uh, of the group and he's a redshirt senior. So maybe a little more maturity um, coming with him. Not not a mauler uh, in the run game, but just a, a solid pass protector. And in the NFL, that that's going to earn you steady work. Um, Austin Jackson, he he might have the most upside of the group. He really might. He's um, so so talented, um, but he's also literally the youngest player in this draft class. It uh, doesn't turn 21 uh, until August, um, and there are times where he definitely plays uh, like a young player. And that's whoever drafts him. You're going to have your bumps in the road. It's going to happen. It's just, can you get through those? Can you know? Does he have the mental toughness to learn from those mistakes and get better? Um, and so, the, those are the questions with Austin Jackson, Ezra Cleveland, who tested great at the combine, had good tape, and it's even imp- more impressive with his tape when you factor in that he had a turf toe in the season opener against Florida State, played the entire year with it. And they, the coaches they, they tried to pull him out of practice and he wouldn't. You know he just a he's a football player. So the football character, the tape, the testing, all, all checks out. Um, needs to be a little bit better versus power. Uh, he you know in terms of dropping his anchor and uh, holding up uh, at the point of attack versus uh, some of the power guys he's going to see in the NFL. But I think there's a lot to like about him and that, one of the knocks on him was going to be his length, um, and so he's he would have to fall more in that Joe Thomas category of you know some teams if it's they won't draft a tackle with under 34 inch arms uh, Ezra Cleveland 33 and 3 8 so that's something that he might not be for everybody but for a team willing to look past that uh, he's going to be a really good value.
1: So Dane, um, people are doing all kinds of different things during quarantine. I think that uh, Lamar Jackson, star quarterback for the Ravens, just got a really nice new chest tattoo. Have oh, you nice. Have you seen any image, images of the chest tattoo? I have not. What What is it a, a well a tattoo of? Well, it's uh, maybe one that he'll regret if he ends up leaving the Ravens. But I'm going <laughs> to okay. send it to you, and I want to. I'm going to text it to you right now, and I want to okay. hear your live reaction on the pod. Okay. I just
2: hit send. What? What's that say? True, truz, truz. Fam. Right, it says family across the top. Okay, and then, what's it say on those ribbons? Truz. It says Felicia, Lamar.
0: And I don't know what the T R U Z Z means. Isn't that that thing he was doing with Mark Ingram? Like what? What? What was that okay. like? Catchphrase that they had?
2: I, Is, I don't are, even remember. Are those, it feels are those raven feathers. Yep. Yes. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I better hope that uh, he's in Baltimore to stay. Wow, that's a lot of color.
0: But that's yeah. the only tattoo that I've seen that I think could rival um, AJ McCarron's chest tattoo for just absolute awfulness.
2: Yeah. It... It's funny when uh, you go down, you know, go down to Alabama. You, you guys have been in the Senior Bowl, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you're in your hotel and you're you're watching Alabama TV, and a car commercial comes on. There's AJ McCarron uh, talking <laughs> up uh, Chevy Chevy Silverados that are you know low APRs this month. Uh, that's great. <laughs> wow, that's 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 just a crazy tattoo. That's nuts. Uh, but I, I guess he can do whatever he wants right now, right? Yeah, I mean if you're going to get a crazy
1: tattoo, now's the time for him to get it. I just think it's going to it might end up being, you know, if he comes down off that perch, he uh and doesn't quite have the career that last season pointed to, it that tattoo could be a a bad a bad little uh memory of of that time at the top.
0: Yeah, I would wait till the second contract, for sure. Just like <laughs> just like make right. sure that everything works out, the league doesn't adjust to you or like God forbid you get hurt, which I mean, you just never know in the NFL. Like, wait till the yeah. second contract, and then and then go ahead and do whatever you want.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, it's a good thing Marcus Mariota didn't get a big Titan tattoo yeah. across his chest <laughs> when he was drafted. But I, get, I mean, it's not, Lamar, the season he had, I guess you know, can't can't fault him. Things are going going well uh, for him, and you know, he looks like he's the real deal. I just yeah, like. I think the more – he's not going to bust, but I think the more pressing might be just can he stay healthy. And that that could be something that is an issue for him, no question. So
1: another position for the Browns that we desperately need is safety. We've got a couple guys on one-year contracts. Like the future at that position for the Browns is completely uncertain. Um, You've got Jeremy Chin coming in your seven-round mock. Is he a guy you think the Browns are particularly high on? Are there any other guys that you think the Browns would be particularly high on? Like, what do you what do you think the Browns might end up doing um, if it's not a Jeremy Chin, um, maybe um, at the top of the second round?
2: I, I definitely think they're interested in, in Chin, um, and I, I kind of said why earlier. But at least three picks in every single season. The fact that he. He, he played corner um, at times uh, for Southern Illinois. Um, and is 6'3", 221 pounds, and ran in the mid four fours. Uh, the testing was off the charts. But he also has some really good tape. He's a rangy player, um, plays with ball skills, has a nose for the football. So there's, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, and, you know, the FCS factor is something that will be a bigger deal for some rather than others. But uh, he held his own at the senior bowl. You know, he didn't look like he was out of place at the combine. So I, you know, I don't think it'll be as big of a deal for, for most teams. Um, I, I think they're looking for more of that coverage guy. And so Xavier McKinney, he's a better run defender than cover guy. Uh, Kyle Duggar. I I'm a big fan of his, um, but I think he's more of your uh, box guy, you know, linebacker slash safety. I think he can cover a little bit, but still he's more of the guy that's going to play closer to the line of scrimmage more so than as a single high player. Um, Grant Delpit could be in the mix. Um, he's not going to be for everybody because of the tackling. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, the ankle issue and things like, I mean, you're watch, he's missed tackles. You cannot tell me that a gimpy ankle is forcing him to fly by guys and barely slow them down. Like that's just, that's an excuse. Um, he needs to get better as a tackler and and he could because it's, most of his issues are fixable. It just it comes down to technique and eye level and calming his feet, being more controlled and disciplined with the way he attacks. So it's possible. It's just will he do it or not? I don't know. Um, and that's something that's that's why we're talking about Grant Delpit as a second-rounder and not a top-20 pick. So I think Delpit will be on their radar. Um, I think Ashton Davis from Cal will be on their radar. Um, Antoine Winfield, I don't know. Winfield's tough because of the size. Where do you uh, see, see Ashton Davis going? Sorry to inter- interrupt. Ashton no, I... Davis is a
1: guy that I've started to really like, but I don't know if nah, he's a yeah. top of the second round or a top of the third round
2: type player. See, I, I like him a lot. I would take him in the second round, but he if he, he might fall to the third, and if he did, a team's going to get great value there. Um, in terms of like backstories, he might have the best backstory in this draft. Uh, he... You know, didn't have really any offers uh, out, of, out of high school. So he literally went out for track and earned a track scholarship to Cal as a way to backdoor his way to the football team. Like, just a, a crazy amount of – you have to really love football can you
1: to, ma- Can you imagine being that good of an athlete to be able to oh, do yeah. that? <laughs>
2: Seriously, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's not like he was just okay. I mean, he was an all-American track athlete at Cal, so he was the real deal. <sighs> Uh, How
0: does a guy but, yeah, who's just, that athletic not have offers coming out? Like, like you, you feel like he would just get found, like discovered? And it's like you, you can fly, like right. We'll like give you a shot.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, he he played for a small program, Santa Cruz. Uh, they were a bad team. Um, he said there were less than twenty players on the team. And they weren't good. So, you know, he, he said that only Division three teams showed some interest. Not even like, a, a you know, uh, he received a bunch of offers. Just They just showed a little bit of interest. So, it, literally, his, his junior year in high school, he joined the track team and just was a natural at it. He was a, a state champion hurdler, um, and he won state meets in California. Um, so, I mean, the, the real deal. And he, he saw his way. He... He had walk-on opportunities, so he walked on for track at Cal and became an All-American. Um, and he he literally he had offers from some other programs, but he saw Cal as the best way to do it. And he, I mean, credit credit to him, he earned a tryout with the Cal football team and er, earned a roster spot. Then worked his way on the field, earned a starting role, and. He he was a big time special teams player. So I I just there's so much about Ashton Davis I, I love as a player. Um, so I, I think he should be in that second round discussion as well. The fact that he's kind of missed most of the pre draft process with uh, with a groin injury uh, has kind of made him be a little under the radar in terms of national attention. But yeah, he, he's a really good player. Yeah,
1: love him. All right, Dane, you've given us a ton of your time. We're not going to chew much more. One last question. Hmm. What is your hot take surprise pick for the first round of the NFL draft?
2: Um, the, you know, the, the
1: juiciest one you got. Not that yeah. you're predicting it's going to happen, but give it to us. Just dripping.
2: We, we still got some time. We got, what, 10 days? So, you know, this things could change. It's always fluid. Um, I, I think that it would not surprise me if the Seahawks drafted Jonathan Taylor in the first round. Um, which Ooh. would be would you know? And they just drafted a running back in the first round two years ago, Rashad Penny, and that hasn't worked out. So I think most, most people think, well, they're not going to do it again, you know. And you know, with still Carson on uh, in the fold, and you know Penny if he comes back healthy. Um, but John Schneider doesn't care, you know. He's going to, and the way I the way I look at it is, if I'm a GM, and who I'm going to draft. It, I'm gonna put myself in the in the shoes of the other teams in my division. So if I'm the Seahawks, I'm putting my shoes in, or I'm myself in the shoes of the the 49ers, the Cardinals, uh, and the Rams. And if I drafted Jonathan Taylor, what would their expression be? I, I mean, they, it would be oh shit, because that way, you know, I already have a tremendous quarterback, and if I add a running back like Jonathan Taylor to the mix, my backfield is looking fantastic. And so I don't think. I don't think there are many mock drafts. I haven't seen one mock draft out there. I don't. I don't look at a ton of mock drafts, but I haven't heard of one that has Jonathan Taylor going to the Seahawks at twenty-seven. But I think that could be a sneaky, uh, you know, decent pick for them that people aren't talking about.
0: Yeah, and like, and Schneider is one of the GMs that has the luxury of probably not having to worry about job security.
2: Um, that's it, John. John and, and that does makes not a care. big deal. Yeah, absolutely. He he would do that and not care at all what people said about it.
0: Yeah, which is, which is a great position to be in. So, Dane, we appreciate you visiting us. Uh, before we let you go, can you update people on where they can read your stuff? I, I know that you're with The Athletic now. Um, give a pitch about where they can get your stuff, uh, where you, they can interact with you on social media and, and whatnot.
2: Yeah, you can find all my information at The Athletic, uh, all, my, all my work um, at, at, on Twitter at DP Brugler. I uh, just came out with the draft guide last week, which is a labor of love. takes a full year, basically, to get that thing done. Um, you know, if, if there's a more comprehensive draft guide out there, then you know let, let me guys know if you find it. Because I, 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 that's, that's my goal every year, just to make it too, so detail-heavy. That uh, whoever reads it is going to be, you know, better of a better understanding of who each player is. Even if you know nothing about the player going in, um, you know, it just it's it's all about the the information. And the, we might not agree on every single player, every single evaluation. Um, I'm not going to peg every single one of these these guys exactly right, uh, you know. But I I think my batting average is pretty good, and uh, I think all the background information, the research is. Is well worth it so if anybody uh has an athletic subscription it's free part of your subscription um it, you know i think it's it makes it uh no, not everyone's on board with paying for you know online content but you know i think i believe you get what you pay for and the, i think the athletic is basically uh you know it's a it's kind of like a magazine subscription except you have instead of waiting for a New magazine every month. You've got an app on your phone with updated stories every single day, plus some um, some cool stuff like this draft guide and release a seven round mock today and, and things like that. So hopefully people will you know we've got free trials and deals and things like that. So hopefully people will try us out and uh, give it a shot. Uh, but that's where you can find all my information. All my I post all everything on, uh, at DP Brugler um, and doing a lot of stuff for the Browns right now. Um, been doing some more appearances on um, some more of their shows. So I'm excited for that and. Uh, it's gonna be a fun next uh, ten days uh, as we try to figure this this thing out.
0: Well, Dane, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Um, for anybody who's listening, if you don't have a subscription to the athletic, at least give it a free trial. It, you're I think you're gonna find that it's well worth it. We love it here, um, if for no other reason but to to get Dane's in-depth content. <laughs> so so it, it's well, it's well worth it because you've you just, Endless amounts of sports-related content for whatever team you're a fan of.
2: Well, and I appreciate that, guys. And hey, it's always it's always fun to join uh, you guys because you guys make this fun. Um, you know, I feel like we've been talking for 20 minutes and it's always already been an hour. So, uh, you know, whenever you guys want me on, uh, just just give me the shout and, and I'm here. Well, I appreciate
1: it. M- mission right. accomplished. All <laughs> right, thanks, Dane. All right, guys, take care. Always a great time to talk to Dane Brugler. Just gets me even more excited for the draft. But the only thing I think I'm looking forward to between now and then is the new uniforms getting released. Um, did you see any of those mock-ups that came out through like UniWatch today that were kind of based on the 2018, um, I guess, concepts that were thrown out there? I, so I did.
0: I have a broader question. though. Why have they waited so long? I I mean I I get like in a normal NFL news cycle why you might wait like till closer to the draft and I don't know, capitalize on some. I feel like if they had released these like three weeks ago, it wouldn't have made any difference and you could already start selling jerseys. But I I don't understand. I I did see those mock-ups and it's everything that I hoped it would be. In in general. Just like broad strokes. Like the the general direction, if if that's anywhere close to where they're headed, like please, um, and it's also an indictment on on how the decision making was made, like early on in this ownership. Like if they go back to the jerseys that, like for all intents and purposes, they had before they did the most recent jersey switch in twenty fifteen, like you're basically just admitting that you completely messed up that first time around. And that's fine.
1: And honestly, I think that this ownership group gets a bad rap for, like, a lot of things. And it seems like they're comfortable with admitting that they were wrong and moving on. Yeah, like, if made, they get credit like, for like, anything, it should be that. that. Yeah, yeah. Like they're okay with that. Like they they knew that it would make a splash to make get a new jersey, and they heard from the fans that like there was interest in that, and then. It was a lot louder whenever they made a change and it sucked and they like took notes (laughs) and they're going to go back and they're going to do something quite similar to what they had. And you know what? Maybe this, the the modern changes wouldn't have happened if we hadn't uh, switched to the awful jerseys. I'm going to try to forget that these last five seasons even happened. And, um, but there's not a whole lot to
0: look back on except for like the, the first win of the Baker Mayfield era. You know, like yeah. like that Jets game, we'll look back up. But we were in color rush, so
1: you won't even have to look at it. Yeah. So true. So true. I will say, um, I do hope that this prediction on the color rush jersey is a little different. It's the only thing of that um, mock-up that I didn't like. I love the brown jersey. I love the white jersey. Um, the mm-hmm. color rush is too plain. There's no. They got rid of the stripes that have been on our current color rush, and I think that the like yellow stripes are perfect on on that I, I would keep the color rush exactly the same i wouldn't touch it are we gonna wear
0: the color rush though and, and that was my thing it's like we're we're nitpicking grasping at straws like we didn't wear the color rush for three seasons until until two two years ago and then we obviously wore it a bunch because we got the exemption um, of this season so i'm not worried about that so much it, it does seem oddly plain to me, I, I agree with you on that. And the one thing I would like to see, actually two things. I don't know that I love the brown face masks. I think I would, I would prefer to go back, but it might be one of those things where they, they want to keep a change in there. So it's not just identical to the old jerseys. And you'd want to go back to gray? Gray or white. I don't really care. I'd, I'd probably prefer white, but we could do gray if we want to. And then the other thing I want to see exactly like your tape dispenser. Um, the other thing I'd want to see tape
1: is with the gray in the face
0: I want to see the orange shirt, orange pants. Orange pants with the brown uniform, more like the Brian Sype era of of the Browns. I think I think that that kind of old school nostalgia plays really well right now. I think that's that's a solid look that you could throw in there. It doesn't have to be the everyday look, but I would love to see them wear Brown tops, orange pants, classic looking jersey. Have those options to mix it up, and see you like the brown jersey,
1: orange pants. I like the, I like the white jersey, orange pants,
0: and that's fine. We can wear both. Yeah, fine by me. I I just want to see some orange pants because cause there's no, in my opinion, there's no reason not to have them. Like, yeah, like yeah. like have them and throw it in there whenever you feel like it. Maybe it's a hit, maybe it's not go from there. So I'm looking forward to that on Wednesday. Uh, What, what time is that announcement? Is it set? I I think you said noon, 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 Eastern, noon, Eastern on Wednesday, 11 central. So we'll be looking forward to that. That's all we've got this week. Um, Hope you enjoyed listening to Dane on the podcast. We always enjoy having him on. Um, We will come back to you next week. At some point doing our pre-draft pod. I'm sure we'll do some, uh, some prop bets like we have the last couple seasons um, about, about the NFL draft. Lord knows there's not enough to bet on this time of year. And so the NFL draft, I'm sure, is going to get just an unprecedented amount of action. Um, so we'll have that for you sometime next week before the draft. Um, hit us up at Fathers on Twitter. Send us an email, Fathers at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And go Browns.
1: Go Brown.